I've always wanted to not work for somebody else. I wanted to make sure that I actually had the ability to provide for my family. Basically be on my own and be independent, financially independent, make sure that nobody can take away my ability to feed my family. So that was what pushed me to do this. If my value doesn't come from my job, I better quit. Like I'm losing money working here. Even though I was making $75,000 a year there, let me quit and now do my own thing. And so I'm so blessed now. I literally have like four or five businesses because I have 40 plus hours of my life every single week back in whatever I want to do, putting into, you know, creating other businesses, buying more properties, all that sort of stuff. Like even now I'm creating a real estate investor conference because I have so much extra time on my hands. I'm like, hey, might as well go ahead and do this instead of working for somebody else. This is the We Love Real Estate podcast. My name is Sean and I love real estate. In this weekly podcast, we interview the top real estate investors and professionals who share their knowledge and expertise to help you become a real estate investing boss. So if you love real estate and want to level up your investment game, then you've come to the right place. And now onto the show. What's going on, investors? And welcome to episode 262 of the We Love Real Estate Podcast with Sean Pan. Yes, you've heard that right. Starting from now on, we're rebranding the podcast to the We Love Real Estate Podcast. Over the past few months, my TikTok and Instagram presence has increased with the handle Sean Loves Real Estate. So we're updating our other platforms to be consistent. Plus, I like the name We Love Real Estate better anyway. On today's show, we have Dustin Heiner. Dustin was an IT specialist who left his 9-to-5 job by investing in rental properties and as a founder of Master Passive Income. In this episode, Dustin will share his story of how he planned his early retirement by continually purchasing rentals while holding on to his full-time job. And by the time he retired, he had over 30 units under his belt, all generating an average of $250 per month. If you want to learn how to maximize your passive income and are thinking about leaving your full-time job, then you need to listen to this episode. As always, if you're an active real estate investor and you need a hard money loan for your next project, you can reach out to me directly at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. All right, Dustin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Let's know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sean. I super love investing in real estate. It really got me to be successfully unemployed. Basically, I found a way to make money for myself and my family without working a job. And I call it a J-O-B. It's a just overbroke because you're literally just overbroke when you're working for somebody else. So I'll quickly fast forward to the end and then jump back to the beginning. Uh, I just, at 37 years old, I quit my job. And then I had enough rental properties building up over time. And then from there, I had enough properties where I didn't need to work. And then I started Master Passive Income, which is literally uh, just me teaching, just showing people how to do this. Like, just figure me as like your next door neighbor that figure out a way to do this and just tries to share with everybody. So yeah, I just love helping people and getting on podcasts and talking to great people like you. Awesome. So let's go back into your story. How did you get started with real estate investing? So uh, let's see. I've always been entrepreneurial in my life. So growing up, I've always been entrepreneurial, you know, starting businesses. And even when I was 13 years old, I had a paper route. That's where you get newspapers and you ride your bike with bags and you put your shove your newspapers in your delivering them, throwing them at 5 a.m. and banging them against garage doors and waking people up. And that was my first business that I had. So that was fun. But I kept growing. But I, at the same time, I was also taught, just like all of us, we're all taught to work. Like basically, we actually go to school for years and years and years, get good grades. Then, after we get good grades, we then 
try to go to college, get a thousand dollars of debt and get good grades again and then get a piece of paper. It's called a degree. And you take that and you try to get a job. You hopefully get a job with that degree. Not guaranteed one, but you hope to get one. And so I'm doing that all the time. Just like everybody else, doing the same thing over and over again to try to be able to provide for myself. And then started a couple more businesses, had a graphic website design company, skateboard manufacturing business, a convenience store, a pizzeria. So a lot of stuff along the way. And on top of that, I bought one or two rental properties. And I thought, man, these are great. I literally don't work and I make money. Now, from that, I kept working a nine to five J-O-B. So I was working in California at one of the counties there in California doing technology or IT work at the county. And I've already had a couple businesses, but I always thought, you know, just like we're taught to work your entire life, work till you're 65, 70 years old, eventually retire and live off of what you've tried to save your entire life to live on. And in doing that, I started having kids. My wife and I started having kids. We had one, two, three. Then once we had our fourth child, I'm still working our job, have a business on the side. It's not going that well, but still working. But I'll tell you this quick story, Sean. So my wife had our fourth child and I went on paternity leave. Now paternity leave was where the dad stays home with the kids and the mommy changes poopy diapers and bonds with the baby and all that good stuff. And after about a week and a half, two weeks, I go back to work. And that week I get back to work. It was on a Friday at about 3.30 in the afternoon. I get a call from my boss's, boss's, boss's secretary, like the, the top dog's secretary. And she says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And then I hung up the phone and I sat there for a second. I paused and I thought, why would they be calling me to the office? Like, this is not normal. And as I'm sitting there, I'm remembering that a couple months prior, before I went on paternity leave, there were some rumors or some rumblings going on that there could potentially be layoffs in the county. And I said, no, I immediately shook that off. I have so much seniority. There's no way, like nobody gets fired or laid off from the government. So I shook that off. I got up and I started walking to my boss's office. Now, I started walking down this hallway. It's not very long. It's actually kind of short, but each step that I took, it felt like the hallway got longer and longer and longer. And my feet felt like they became lead bricks. And it was so hard to take the next step and next step because the weight of potentially losing my job was really crushing down on me. Well, I get down the hallway and I turn the corner and I see my boss's door. His door's closed and I see a secretary and sheepishly she grins at me and it's kind of consoling me with her eyes. And she says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And all the while, it looks like she's trying to console me because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. Well, I take my seat and as I'm sitting there, I start thinking about, oh my goodness, all these years going to college, you know, school and college, getting in a debt and then getting a quote unquote career. If this is all taken away from me, is that a waste of my life? My goodness. And then I start thinking, oh, if I don't have money to provide for my family, how in the world am I going to be able to feed my kids? And does that make me a failure as a father? Does that make me a failure as a husband, as a man trying to provide for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy, my forehead gets all sweaty, and the the weight of the world is literally coming on my shoulders. And then the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a lady, a coworker of mine, with a piece of paper in her hands. And she is noticeably upset, noticeably um, just rocked. And you can tell that she is definitely devastated, but she's not necessarily crying, but her world has been rocked. And as she passes by me, my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into the office? So I get up and I go into the office. Then he hands me a piece of paper and I get laid off. And remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government. 
But I did. So if it happened to me, it could definitely happen to anybody. Well, I took that piece of paper and I walked back to my desk and I sat down. I realized two things sitting right then and there. Number one, I needed to get another job. I need to be able to provide for my family, put food on the table, roof over our heads. And so I was really, really blessed. Praise the Lord to be able to buy, or not buy, sorry, that was not about real estate, but I found another job in the same county, a whole other department, working with the sheriff's department, doing the same work and everything. So that was a huge, huge blessing. From there, the second thing that I realized sitting there in my desk right after I just got laid off, I realized that I need to make sure that this never, ever happens to me again. And so what I realized that whenever anybody would ask me the question, Dustin, what is it that you do? I would normally say, well, I work for the county. I do IT work. But I realized I was presenting my value in myself as coming from my job. But then I realized, my goodness, my value doesn't come from my job. And everybody listening to this, you need to realize that your value doesn't come from your job. In fact, your value should come from someplace like inside you. My value comes from my God, from myself and my family. Well, as I'm sitting there, I realized I need to make a change. Even though I only had one or two properties, I said, I've always wanted to be an investor. I am now going to become an investor. Now, it may so happen that almost 100% of my money came from my job. That's now my part-time job. I am a full-time investor. Fast forward, I bought property after property after starting you know, this new job. Each property made me a minimum of $250 a month in passive income. After so many years, it was like probably six or seven years, I had 30 plus properties and I realized, my goodness, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life here. So what I decided to do was quit my job. Now, I'll round up the story by saying I went to my new boss, great boss and everything, and I gave him a layoff notice myself. I said, here's my two weeks notice. And he says, Dustin, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm not going to do anything. I literally don't have to do anything. I have rental properties that make me money whether I work or not. From that, I took off and I walked to my car. Now, this car is about a mile and a half away. I parked a mile and a half away because it was downtown and I didn't want to pay for parking. I'm pretty frugal. And so I've taken this walk a thousand times. From that thousand times going through that walk, I felt like I was walking on clouds because as I was walking away from my job from the last time, I realized that my value is no longer from my job. And everybody listen to this. You need to realize your boss is only paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much money that takes money out of their pocket. So if you get paid for the value that you bring, you're going to be paying so much more. And so if you remember my walk down the hallway where my feet became like lead bricks, this now, this last walk, I walked and looking back and saying, I will never need a job again. Felt like I was walking on clouds. So fast forward, all these properties, 37 years old, I was eventually able to quit my job. So I'll pause the story. You probably have questions to ask. Absolutely. So from that first layoff, you said it took you about six or seven years before you built enough assets to finally decide to quit. Yes, it did. I had two, two properties. What was the deciding factor for you? Oh, well, the deciding factor was, well, I've always wanted to not work for somebody else. I wanted to make sure that I actually had the ability to provide for my family. And so the catalyst was obviously getting laid off and then being a quick jump right back into working again so I can buy properties. But to basically be on my own and be independent, financially independent, make sure that nobody can take away my ability to feed my family. So that was what pushed me to do this. And on top of that, Because I bought property after property after 30 plus properties, each one making me a minimum of $250 a month, I was making so much more than I was from my job. And I realized if my value doesn't come from my job and my boss is not paying me my value, I better quit. Like I'm losing money working here. Even though I was making $75,000 a year there, 
I realize I'm losing money. Let me quit and now do my own thing. And so I'm so blessed now. I literally have like four or five businesses because I have 40 plus hours of my life every single week back in whatever I want to do, putting into, you know, creating other businesses, buying more properties, all that sort of stuff. Like even now I'm creating a real estate investor conference because I have so much extra time on my hands. I'm like, hey, might as well go ahead and do this instead of working for somebody else. And how long ago was that that you quit your job? It was 2017. It's been about four or five years now. Yes. And uh, what have you done since then? Obviously, keep buying properties. That's what I love is I love buying rental properties because I literally hire people and I make sure that they do all the work and I make money in passive income. That's what I love is passive income as well as teaching people. That's why I created Master Passive Income. I have my podcast, which is literally just me. I don't do any interviews. It's literally just me teaching and the YouTube channel and all that sort of stuff. Literally just giving it away because I've been blessed to be able to change my life. I've realized there's so many other people. It'd be great to help them out. So buying property after property, now from single family homes, now getting to multifamily. I even just invested in a hotel, two different hotels. So that was super awesome, a syndication deal. That was really, really fun. But what it really comes down to is I figured out a way to make sure that I didn't have to work and I still made money in passive income. So people have probably heard of the book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Well, I don't want to work 4 hours a week. I think 4 hours a week is for suckers. I don't even want to work 30 minutes a week. I basically work 30 minutes a month, and it's just by getting my property management statements from my property managers and making sure everything looks good and then putting aside and going back to playing with my kids or going golf or you know doing whatever I want. And so because of building the business first, meaning... I make sure that the business runs without me, then I literally don't have to do anything. It's all passive income from there. That's what I started, why I started Master Passive Income, because I was like, you know what? People want to learn this. I think I've mastered it because I don't do anything. I still make money. Yeah. And in terms of like a dollar amount, what would you say is like a good number for people before they should think about leaving their full-time jobs? Everybody has different types of risk tolerance. So the risk tolerance would be, can I leave with 80% of my income or my expenses taken care of? Can I leave with that? Or can I leave now? Or do I need 120% of my expenses covered before I quit? This is how I did it. So I kind of backwards went into the idea of quitting my job as well as making sure I had enough money. So as you remember, I had four kids. I still have four kids but that uh, we didn't get any more. But we have four kids and my wife and I. And I realized we needed $4,200 a month in passive income. And then I realized if I need $4,200 to replace the, not necessarily the income, but that's my expenses. I needed to replace the income to pay for my expenses. Then I backed into it. So if I bought one property that made me $250 a month, that's $3,000 a year. Then if I scale it up, remember if I build the business first, I have other people do the work, I can just scale, it's plug and play. So if I had 10 properties, that's $2,500 a month in passive income. That's without working. That is $30,000 a year in passive income. 20 properties is $5,000 a month. That is $60,000 a year without working. And so I just said, I need $4,200 a month. Let me just start building until I had, let's say, 20 properties. Then I literally can replace my income, account for my expenses, and save some money for investing. But I'll give you one little thought, Sean, too. I didn't have much risk tolerance to quit my job because it's it feels secure. Even though I got laid off, it feels secure getting that paycheck every single month. I quit two years later because a couple of different things. Number one, nervous about losing that, you know, that W-2 job, even though money kept rolling in. Another thing, I wanted to save up more money so I could buy even more properties. Another thing on top of that, 
I was refinancing, doing a bundle loan, which four properties bundled them all together, one commercial loan, and I needed to get that financed done before I quit my job because banks don't like it when you quit your job in the middle of a refinance. So all that combined, it took me probably about six or seven years to eventually quit my job, but it was because I accounted for my expenses and I also knew that I needed to make more money to buy more properties. So I just worked backwards from there. So if every property is making $250 or more every single month, you just multiply it out. So back in when you were working full-time W2 job, you're making around $75,000 a year. But somehow you managed to acquire a good amount of properties, right? Like 20, 30 properties. That's pretty sizable. What kind of properties were you buying? And I guess what markets are you in to, to buy something at that price? So I was living in California at the time. And this was 2006 when I first started investing. And in 2006, market was just going crazy. You could not buy a house and make passive income from the property because the prices were so high. So I actually went to Ohio. I had no clue what I was doing. I actually, I'll tell you what I did. I was following what other quote-unquote coaches or real estate gurus were telling you. This is what they tell you to do. This is the wrong way, by the way, so don't do this, but I'm just going to quickly overview. What they did was they told me how to do this, and this is what I did. I found a property somewhere in the country. It was actually in Ohio, when I first, uh, the first property that I bought. And then what they tell you is you find a property, you run the numbers. Make sure you're going to make $50 a month in passive income around there, but you're going to get appreciation, which I don't invest for appreciation anymore. I'm literally going to give my properties to my kids. So... From that, you run the numbers, make sure you're a little money in passive income. Then you buy the property, spend thousands of dollars to buy the property. Then you find somebody to rehab it, fix it up. You spend thousands of dollars to fix it up. Then you find a tenant to put in there. Then you find a property manager to manage the property. In my opinion, that's literally backwards. What they also told me was that my property was a business. That one property was a business. That's also, in my opinion, wrong. Let me share with you the right way to do it. This is what I've learned over the many, many years. So that was the wrong way. The right way was is now to build the business first. So in my business, I actually look for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom homes that are about 1,200 to 1,500 square feet that I can rent where I can make $250 a month in passive income. But then I also make sure that I have other people that can do the work for me. And I do that by building the business first. If you hear me any as like, you know, my podcast, listen to the YouTube channel, you hear me say over and over again, we build the business first because I've been entrepreneurial all my life. And I realized that first property, what happened was I followed other people, what they said, and my property manager started stealing from me in like six months. It was horrible. It was bad. Now, if I would have let that deter me and stop, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. No, I pushed through. I realized there was a way to do it. And what I did was I approached it with a business mindset because I've always been a businessman. I love business. I love entrepreneurship. So here, let me give you an example of what it looks like when you're building the business first. So if you're going to start a convenience store, that's where, you know, fountain machines and candy bars, everybody knows what a convenience store is. But if you're going to do that, you're not going to sign a lease for a location, open the doors, and put a box of candy bars in there. You wouldn't do that. In fact, you go broke. You go out of business in two seconds. What you would do, though, is build the business first. You get the gondolas. Those are the shelving units that you put the candy bars on. You get the countertops, the cold storage, the fountain machines, cash registers, bank accounts, insurance, employees, all this sort of stuff, building the business before you buy any inventory. Once you have the business built, then you buy the inventory and put that into your business and you sell that inventory. Same thing with real estate investing. We build the entire business first and then we buy a property and that property is our business's inventory. Remember, your property is not a business. 
your property is inventory that you put into the business. This is how I was able to scale the business so fast and made sure that I had other people do the work because I built the business, found the property managers, contractors, roofers, plumbers, realtors, wholesalers, inspectors, insurance agents, mortgage brokers, hard money lenders. I found all these other people first. Then I built that business to make sure it would run without me. Then I bought the property and I put it into my business. That's how it was able to scale so fast because it didn't take any more of my time. Once I found a property and bought it, I didn't have to do any more work. All I needed to do was have more financing to buy the property. Go back, really, last, last point. I'll go back to answering your question about how I was able to do this so fast. Number one was building the business so I could scale it. The number two was getting the financing to be able to buy the properties. And literally what I did was I took my wife's, my wife and I got married and she had 17000 15 or 16000 something like that, $17,000. Took that money to buy her first property. Then I refinanced it, pulled all that cash back out to buy the next property. Then refinanced that one, pulled the cash back out of that house to buy the next property. I literally recycled that same $17,000 over and over and over again into the next property. Now, I also saved every bit of my passive income to buy the next property as well because I knew if I was spending that passive income, it's going to be that much harder for me to find and buy the next property if I didn't have more money. For six or seven years, we didn't go on vacation. We didn't really go out to eat very much. We sacrificed everything because every penny that did not go to the next property would take me that much longer to be able to quit my job and be financially independent. So fast forward, it was because of the business that I built and the ability to recycle my money over and over again that helped me to scale it so fast. So do you invest locally or are you from a different state? Definitely from a different state. So I invest in Ohio, Texas, and Arizona. I currently live in Arizona. I love Phoenix. It's a great place. I moved from California out to Arizona, but I invest all over the country. And all my students, we literally invest all over the country. And I'll get this, Sean. So I have 30 plus properties. I've literally only seen one of them before I bought it, like only one. Everything else, it's literally relying on other people, which I would say they are the experts in the area. Like I'll give you an example. Zillow is not an expert. Realtor.com is not an expert. The Trulia, Redfin, like all these websites are not experts. Who are the experts? The experts are the people that are literally there on the ground that live there. And so here's a example of what a good expert's gonna be. So your property manager, let's say, remember, we built the business first, we have the right property manager, and then with that right property manager, we can say, hey, property manager, I'm looking at buying this house. Here's the address. Tell me, how much can I rent it for? What's the vacancy factor? Drive by the place, make sure that you can actually want to manage it, like you're not gonna get shot, and you're gonna say, hey, I'm not gonna manage the property, and then tell me more about the property. Now, what's great is if you have the right, and you build the business first, you have the right property manager, They'll probably say, oh, yes, I know that area. In fact, I have a property like two blocks away that I'm managing for another landlord. And we tried to get $1,600 a month for it. We couldn't. We could, and Zillow was saying $1,600, but we could only get $1,400 for it. And so if you run your numbers at $1,600 for what Zillow is, who's not the expert, if you do that, you're going to be in a world of hurt if you run it without an expert's information in your brain. And so what I do is I talk to the property manager first making sure that they are going to, number one, manage the property, tell me how much I can rent it for, and then if I can make a passive income, I'll try to buy it. So that's how I do it all over the country because I make sure I hire experts there on the ground. We do the exact same thing. So my wife and I, we have properties across the country as well. And it's definitely like the hardest part of investing in real estate, especially out of state, is finding that team, right? So building property managers, having a good wholesaler agent's 
good lenders who can finance your properties there and good contractors. So if we get presented an opportunity in a market that we're not a part of, like say Indianapolis, I don't know what to do with it. And so sadly, I have to let it go. Whereas just recently, we got an offer of a seven property portfolio in a market that we already have everything established. And the current managers are our property managers. So we're like, oh, it's easy, easy transfer. We have financing set up. So we're like, okay, bing, bang, boom, it's done. And they also have the history of the properties too, because they've been managing it. That's a good, a really good um, thing to have. Exactly. And so we're excited to do more deals like that. And I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? Like real estate investing itself is not that hard, but it's setting up the team. That's hard. That's the work. That's where you can go out and make the phone calls and get things set up. Absolutely. And when I'm coaching students, what we do is we find an area of the country to invest anywhere that we can find good inventory. Meaning, remember, inventory for us is three bedroom, two bathroom, 1,200 to 1,500 square feet. We don't want it too small. We don't want it too big. We want properties that either people want to buy or rent. And so we make sure that this area has plenty of inventory because we don't want to just find an area that has one property and then that's the only one in the area and do all that work, like you said, to build a business, but you don't have more inventory. So let's say we find a good area that has lots of good inventory that we could potentially buy and make $250 a month in passive income. With that, from there, most students will literally say, hey, Dustin, I found an area and I've already got five uh, realtors sending me deals. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. Have you built the business first? Like, no, no. But I got realtors sending me deals. I'm like, that's what everybody teaches the wrong way. They'll tell you, start getting realtors, start looking for deals. That's the last thing. Like literally in my step-by-step process that I do and teach all my students, realtors, wholesalers, I love them both. They're great, but they're literally the last step. What is the first step? The first step is literally finding the right property manager. Because the last thing you want to do is spend thousands and thousands of dollars to buy a property, then spend even more money, thousands more to fix up the property, get a tenant in there and realize, oh my goodness, I cannot find a property manager. I can't find, everybody said that they won't go there because they, you know, they'll get shot or whatever the case may be. It's sad for other people, other landlords. It's good for me. I bought lots of properties off of people where they say, Dustin, just take this property. I don't want to be a landlord anymore. I can't stand it. I'm managing it myself because I can't find anybody to manage the property. I'm like, sure, thank you. I'll take it. And so it's good for me, bad for them. But that's the biggest thing that we do is we put off looking for deals in the future, but we start with finding the right property manager. But at the same time, I'll give you everybody a tip, at least what I do. Texting is not interviewing a property manager. Emailing is not interviewing the property manager. You need to interview your property manager and you need to talk to them on the phone. Now, when you're talking on the phone, you're literally going to see what experience they have. Do they know what they're talking about? Do you actually even mind talking to them on the phone? Like, are they like cat scratching a chalkboard when you're talking to them because you don't want to talk to them? You want to make sure you get all that taken care of. But here's also a great thing. I get a lot of people asking me the question, well, man, how do you afford a property manager? I'm like, well, here's the great thing. I don't have to get a job to pay for my property manager. In fact, you, you'll know this, Sean. So I don't pay my taxes on my, any of my properties. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay my insurance. I don't pay my property manager fees. I don't pay for repairs. I don't pay any of that stuff. My tenants pay for all of those expenses. And then I make $250 or more in passive income from those properties because I built the business. I'm buying an inventory. And that inventory is also accounted for all of the expenses. A property manager is a expense. So we make sure we put that inside of our numbers before we buy the property so the tenants are paying for the management of the property. A lot of people get in, they don't count for that. And then they realize, oh my goodness, I have to manage it myself. Or 
lose a lot of money because I have to hire a property manager. So because we build the business first, we approach it as a business, our income and expenses, and then make sure we make profit on top of that. Yep. And that's the way you have to do it. So I'm also wondering about how you finance your deals. So you mentioned that you had initial seed capital, fifteen to $20,000 that you bought your first property. After some time, that property appreciated in value. You refinanced, took that money, and just cycled it again and again and again. I have refinanced quite a few deals myself as well. Every time I finance something, I learn something new, right? Like there's some fees I didn't know about. There's some seasoning periods I didn't know about. Go ahead and just tell me some experiences that you've had while doing this refinance, this snowball thing. And you know, there's some conception that you can just do it over and over and over again, like as if it's an ATM. But in reality, there are some things that are, like there's some nuances to it. Do you want to go over some of these lessons that you learned from doing these refinances? Yeah, absolutely. Bunch of lessons that I learned. Like number one, just getting mortgages in general. It's a lot of work, but there's also other ways to get financing. In fact, I love using lots of different ways to get financing for a property. So one way is definitely, this is most people would realize this. It's really simple. You find a mortgage broker and a realtor and you put them together and you buy a property. That's one way, but there's only so many that you can do. Most banks, they like only four properties, like mortgages per person. And so the IRS rules is 10 total. So there is a cap, but here's what I've learned. There are so many ways to get financing for your properties. I'll give you an example. I've used a regular mortgage. I've used commercial loans where my business is actually, my rental property business. Remember, I started the business. It has its own LLCs, all that sort of stuff. But that business gets loans against itself. I've used bundled loans where I bundled properties together, pulled cash out to buy more properties. I've used private money, friends and family members and people that I know got them to invest hard money. I've even, and this is an advanced strategy, I've even used a credit card to buy properties. And the reason why I was able to do that, because I built the business, I knew my business. I knew if I use this credit card, I can account for those expenses. However much the interest rates are, fees, all that sort of stuff, I can account for that in my purchase of this next property. If I'm still going to be making money, why not use it? It's actually, for me, it was a really, really cheap loan. Now I paid off the credit card, still own the house. That house is making me money in passive income. And so I know of like at least 14 or 15 different ways that I personally use. Even a signature loan. Go into the bank, any bank, your bank preferably, that you actually do business with and say, hey, can I get a signature loan? Basically, it's unsecured line of credit on your person. A little higher interest rates, but... It's cash that you can buy your property and then six months refinance it, which the seasoning period is the six months. Usually banks like to have a seasoning period to pull out cash or you know, to refinance. You have to own it for six months. So that's an, another thought that you have to run through. But here's a great thing that I've done. So with that seasoning period, there's also a way to do a delayed refinance. So basically what happens is you are going to buy the house with cash. Let's say you're using hard money. It doesn't have to be your own personal cash, private money, hard money, whatever it might be. Use your own personal cash or somebody else's to buy the house. But before you actually close, you talk to a bank. This is a big pro tip. Most banks can do this. They just don't know how. They don't know that it's possible. But you got to kind of educate them. And that's what we do. So you buy the house with cash. But before you actually close on the contract, you get all of your numbers all lined up. You have your contractors, everybody. You have all your quotes. You take it to the company, your bank, that you're going to be doing the delay financing. You tell them, here is what it's going to cost to fix up. And here's what the appraised value that's going to be when it's all done. They will let you do the right refinance and pull the cash out within like two or three weeks. Basically, when all the rehab is done, 
from there, you can get the appraisal and then they can give that money. So there's so many different ways to get financing to buy the property, beating out that six month seasoning period. There's lots and lots of things you can do. Can you go over some of that, like examples of alternative financing that you've done besides conventional loans? Oh, I think I just did. You mean like a specific, like how the deal came out? Sure. Something like that. Okay. Well, I'll give you one. So we'll we'll take the credit card example specifically. So this credit card, I got in the mail a credit card note. And remember, it's all about income and expenses in our business. And I looked at the credit card. It was a cash out refund. Well, basically get a credit card, but you could do a cash out refinance. And not sorry, cash out. You, You can do cash out of the credit card. With that cash out, it was like a measly 0.05% interest for the life of the... I haven't gotten these books like after, but this was like in 2008 when I got this. So before everything went crashing down, but it was 0.05 interest for the life of the balance. Like it wasn't just a, you know, 12 months or something like that. It was the life life of it. So I said, that is cheap money. So I pulled the cash out, paid the, what I don't know, one or 2% fee or whatever it was. And I took that actually went to my bank, took those little, you know, fake checks that they give you, uh, blank checks, take it to the bank, and I cash it into my bank account. And then I had, I don't know, $15,000, $20,000 right then and there. And I used that to go buy a house. Then with that house, what I also did was I refinanced and bought the next property. Now, there's one thing that I also want to mention. I want to share that you mentioned after time, you're, it's going to go up in value. The property will go up in value. It'll appreciate. But here's another thing. The reason why I'm able to refinance my properties faster than waiting for it to appreciate, because not every year it's going to go up 10, 20% like it has in the last couple of years. Lots of times it's maybe like one, two, 5%. Like it's not a lot. Sometimes it even goes down. But what I do is because I'm an investor, I buy it with equity capture. So equity capture is basically where, let's say, give you round numbers. It's worth $100,000, but I buy it for $80,000. I captured twenty thousand dollars in equity right then and there because i'm an investor i make sure i buy the properties right and there's a saying great saying you make your money when you buy the property you realize that money when you actually sell it so you always want to buy right just like if you're buying stocks same thing you want to buy low and sell high and so what i do is i make sure that i buy it i buy it lower so but here's six different ways that you make money and sean you absolutely would know this so number one is passive income we already talked about that $250 a month in passive income. Next one is equity capture. You buy it lower than it's worth. You capture equity. Next one is forced appreciation. You get in there, you fix it up, new carpet, new paint, new lawn, and all that sort of stuff. Make the value more. Then regular market appreciation. We know just over time it goes up. Another great one is tax benefits. I love depreciation on my taxes. As soon as you get your first property, you'll realize how awesome depreciation is. On Tax benefits are fantastic. The last one, I love this. Remember I told you, I do not pay my mortgage. Well, that means I don't pay the principal and I don't pay the interest because my tenants pay for that. And so if I buy a house with a down payment, the rest of that balance that I owe in principal and all of the interest that I incur gets paid off by the tenants. So that's the six ways that we make money investing in real estate. You just buy one property, let the business run itself. Other people do the work. And then you just make money in those six different ways. And so I guess conventional financing is how you would refinance all these deals, right? After you buy them with hard money or you don't? No, not necessarily. Okay. So what do you do afterwards? Conventional refinance is one, but one that I love using. Now this happens over time. As you build your business, like as I teach my students, we start an LLC, 
anywhere in the country, but you start an LLC, you get an EIN number. That's an employer identification number for the IRS. You start a business bank account, and then you start building your credit in your business. So your business now has credit. Uh, one of my LLCs has literally been around since 2009. I get credit card offers all the time. I get loan offers all the time. I get so much all the time because my business credit is worth a lot. As you build a business, you build business credit, your business credit is worth some people or some companies buy other companies just for their business credit. It's pretty amazing. So what I do now is majority of my properties, I put them in commercial loans, bundle them together, or I get one property that's a commercial loan where I don't have my name on the property anymore or on the mortgage. It's literally owned by my company, which obviously I own, and the mortgage is inside of my company's name. But here's the great thing. Most commercial loans, your name cannot be on the loan as a recourse loan. It's just in the company. So that's another great way to do a refinance, to do a long-term loan. But I will say, Conventional loans are fantastic because they're 30-year fixed properties. You know your income for 30 years or your expenses for 30 years. You can account for that. And just over time, your rents go up. You just make more money. Can you go over some of the terms for a commercial loan and how does one qualify for that? Yes. So commercial loans are a little tougher because you need to have experience. Like if you don't have experience being a property manager, the commercial loan broker will say, well, if we're going to lend you money as a business, if you don't have any experience as a business, we're going to lose money. They don't want to lose money. They want to make sure they're making money. So you need to have experience yourself being a landlord and having businesses and properties and stuff like that, or get somebody else in your company. Let's say bring a mentor on, have them be in your company. You're going to have to give a little equity, but they're going to be the ones that gives lends in experience. That's one. Another one is terms would be you don't normally get 30-year fixed, which sometimes you might. There are some companies that are starting to come around to doing that now. Not big banks like Bank of America. They're still like this. Most terms are like a five-year term, and then you refinance it. Basically, you do it all over again. They change the interest rates, and then the term changes. So what I have, I'll give you an example of the current property I think I have four or five properties in one bundle loan. It's a five-year term. In fact, I just went through the refinance process and got another five-year term with it. And I think I have like a 3.5% interest rate, which is really good for a commercial loan. But it's in my company's name, and it's five years. So after the next five years, unless I pay it off, refinance and pay it off, or just you know take cash and pay it off, I'm going to do it all over again. They're going to change the interest rate. So it's a totally different. You need to have experience. Terms are totally different and fees are different. You're going to have higher interest, higher fees and all that sort of stuff. But the biggest thing is you really need to have a business that has business credit. And so what kind of a lender do you go to? Like, are these large companies like Bank of America that you find these or do you have to go to a small local credit union? How do you find these loans? For commercial loans, it's more like the bigger companies. I find that when I'm doing regular conventional loans and trying to do refinance with conventional loans, local Regional and local banks are terrific. But for commercial loans, I've had better luck with big banks. Like U.S. Bank is one that I've been using a number of times for a lot of commercial loans. By the same time, there are other companies that are coming out and doing commercial loans as well. But then at the same time, have 30-year fix. So there's a lot of great things coming down. Yeah. Actually, I work for a company called Conventus Lending. So we do that. We do these DSCR type loans. Oh, cool. But I wanted to hear what you use because we also use commercial loans for our own portfolio. Similar to what you're saying. They typically do it at like a 20-year amortization schedule. Is that the same for you? 20 years as well? Oh, I didn't mention that. I want to say it was, no, it might have been 30-year amortization. I think I asked for a 30-year, and I think they gave me, for this one bundle loan, I think they gave me a 30-year amortization because I wanted lower payments, more passive income. Right. Yeah. And then for us, 
initially they wanted to also give us a five-year term, but we were like, I don't want to be caught holding the bag in case something happens on year five and something happens with us. So we were able to negotiate and make it into a 20-year loan, but it's going to be like a 5-5 five, five arm, you know, so like five years with one interest rate and every five years they change the interest rate based on what the market conditions are. But those are like small banks, you know, and I feel like they're only comfortable lending in their like city or their like region. So if you want to invest in other places, you have to find your own local lender, which is why now that we're here, so we moved from Bay Area to Dallas recently, we have to go out and like find a new lender here in Dallas that can do what they do over there, but over here in Texas. Got it. Yeah. I love being creative in my financing because a lot of people, they get kind of stuck on like just a regular conventional loan, but there are so many ways to do it. So if you know what's out there, you can get creative and even combine. Like I've even used private money, hard money, and a signature loan to get one property because I needed the money. It's a great deal, but I figured out a way to do it. Yeah. I mean, some of my clients, like they need to close ASAP. And usually these like conventional loans or like DSCR type loans, the 30 year fixed debt, they take longer because the lenders want to have like a full appraisal. And right now appraisals are just like impossible to get right now. They take like three plus weeks. They cost a lot more money. That's taking forever. I tell them sometimes, hey, let's close it with a hard money loan first, close you in 10 to 14 days, and then you can take your time refinancing on the back end. That's a good point. Yes, I agree. Yep. So let's transition over to your conference. I know you're going to start one in end of March or sometime mid-March, right? Mid-March, yeah. Go ahead and talk about the conference. What are your plans for it and who you think should go if they're interested? Yeah, totally. So because I have master passive income and just been helping so many of my students, I had students asking me, well, Dustin, we want a meetup. Like we want an event where we could all get together, all the students and all the people listen to the podcast and all that sort of stuff. And I said, that's a great idea. And then I thought, I have a lot of friends that are influencers that are expert investors. So this is what happened. I said, I started calling all of them. I said, hey, I'm thinking about putting together an event where I could bring my community. And would you want to be a part of that? Bring your community and create a big event where we have a huge community of just a bunch of investors. So fast forward now, I created the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference and call it RubeCon for short. RubeCon is basically all of our communities coming together. And if you've been to any other real estate investor conference, they're literally sales pitches. Like this is what happens. You go to a session, get you all hyped and pumped up. And at the very end, they'll say, okay, everybody now run to the back. We're only taking the first thousand people that are going to give us $30,000 on their eight credit cards. That's not what we're doing at all. We're here to help people. We all have our audiences and students. We just want to see people succeed. So this is a no sales pitch conference. It's literally us teaching. And here's the great thing. I teach rental properties, but I had so many other friends that did so many other types of investing. I have a friend that does land investing, flipping and investing, syndications, Airbnbs, multifamily, as well as even communal living, like multiple people in one house, like all these different ideas of an Airbnb all these different ways to invest. And we're literally just saying, let's just come together and share all this great information, build a community. So we're not building a conference. We're building a community. And it just so happens that we're using this conference to get together. So it's going to be in March 10th through the 12th here in Phoenix, where I live in Phoenix. And it's just so beautiful here in the wintertime. And it's called the Real Estate Wealth Village Conference, meaning that we are going to be building wealth together and we're going to be building that community. So right now, I mean, we, we have 27 speakers, I think like, I don't know, 10 sponsors and hundreds of people coming. It's going to be awesome. What kind of investor do you think would be the best type of person to show up at this conference event? 
That's a great question. So a question on top of that, people ask, is it for advanced investors only? And I'm like, no, what we're doing is it's going to be for beginner and intermediate, a little bit more advanced. The reason why it's more for advanced, too, is because you're going to be literally bumping elbows, rubbing elbows with experts that are literally teaching this stuff. You can be talking to them. In the next few years, I'm going to build tracks, basically tracks, meaning a beginner track, an intermediate and advanced track and teaching all these, you know, beginner, intermediate and advanced but everything from syndication to multifamily, Airbnb, all these different types of investing. So it's not flipping and wholesaling. I personally don't believe flipping and wholesaling is investing. If you don't flip the next property or wholesale the next property, you're not going to make money. So we're investors. So any type of investing you can think of, even mobile homes, that's going to be there as well. So we have 27 investors that are experts that literally have their own podcasts and YouTube channels and all that sort of stuff literally showing you how we do it so you can do it yourself. Awesome. And how can people find out about this conference? Yeah, you can go to rubecon.com, R-E-W-B-C-O-N.com, rubecon.com. And, you know, if you guys go there and get your ticket, I'll even give you $50 off because I just, like, again, it's just a community I'm trying to build. If you use the promo code Dustin, just my name, D-U-S-T-I-N. It'll give you $50 off for the ticket. And more than likely, I'll just, like, if somebody listens to this, like, the next year, I'm going to be doing this every single year, just trying to build a bigger and bigger conference. More than likely, that promo code will still always be working. So definitely use that promo code because that is, it's going to be a great time for us to make sure that we are making investing better by being a part of a community of helpful people that really are just here to help each other. Awesome. Well, Dustin, thank you again so much for coming on our show today. How can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I actually have a real estate, remember, I just love to give. So I have a real estate investing course to give away for free. Do you mind if I share that with everybody? Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, you can text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my real estate investing course, show you how to Find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first, how to make sure you're making $250 a month, how to scale your business so where you can quit your job. I'll give that to you right away. Or you can go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Masterpassiveincome forward slash free course. It'll be all one word forward slash free course. From there, I have my podcast, Master Passive Income Podcast, the YouTube channel as well. You can find me on all those platforms. Instagram, I think it's the Dustin Heiner. T-H-E, I'm not that egotistical. It's just the only thing I can come up with or find. But T-H-E, Dustin Heiner, H-E-I-N-E-R. But yeah, no, it's great having being on, Sean. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. I hope you like this episode. You can find the show notes with all the links on our site, everythingrei.com. If you like the podcast, please help us grow by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends to listen as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.